So nobody came to Burger Night. I showed up at my usual spot only to discover that my entire party had canceled. So there I sat in silence, eating a medium-rare cheeseburger with pickles and a dash of Tabasco. It was a delicious burger, and I realized that I don't need anyone to enjoy a good burger. So, you know... It's now time to start the RGGEDU podcast. So grab a juice box, a handful of unsalted almonds, and get ready for the show. Season 5 of the RGGEDU podcast is brought to you by Ellenchrome. The team in Ellenchrome believes that photography, in all its forms, is one of life's great ongoing adventures. And they are firmly committed to creating lighting gear, modifiers, and accessories that make these adventures more fulfilling, productive, and rewarding. With the launch of the new ELB 500 TTL, adventurous portrait photographers desiring a TTL solution for both in-studio and on-location use can now join in on the fun. In this episode, we're joined with the queen of photography education, Sue Bryce. And alongside me, we are also with Rob Grimm. I'm always, always here. You're, you're always, always here. I'm always by your side. You're Gary always Mark. by my side. Sue, thank you so much for making the time to, to come by and, and chat with us on this podcast. Are you kidding? It's my pleasure. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. So um, for the maybe two people out there in the world that are listening to this that don't know who you are, what, what's, what sort of work do you do? What sort I'm of a photography? portrait photographer. I've been a portrait photographer for 28 years. Wow. And I was uh, born and raised in New Zealand. I moved to Australia in 2008. Uh, I won New Zealand Portrait Photographer of the Year. I won Australian Portrait Photographer of the Year. America noticed me and I got booked to come and speak at WPPI. And I came over here and never left. <laughs> so New <laughs> Zealand back is... Home. Why, why leave New Zealand? That's the most amazing, magical place in the world. It truly is. Yeah. Middle Earth. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, there's four million people in the whole country. And uh, I wanted world domination. So I <laughs> set off. I set off for an international career. That was really what I was uh, shooting for at 38. I thought I'd like to take my brand international. And I did that. That's amazing. So you get to go back? Every year. Every year. It's a 15-hour flight from yeah, LA, I know. though. Yeah, they call it the two-hangover flight. Ooh, it's a big <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing uh, today? What sort of work are you uh, shooting? I know you do a lot with education. How do, you, how do you find time to do all this? It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I still have an, a working portrait studio because if you're not actively in the market, you will find yourself out of the market really quickly. Not, and I don't mean uh, by demand, simply because it changes so fast. You'll be forgotten. You, yeah, and it's not just um, forgotten. You actually, you don't know what's happening in the economy. You don't know what's happening with pricing. You don't know what's happening with new products. And you certainly don't know what's happening on Facebook that's changing rapidly. And it's too easy to start educating and forget about your clients in saying that I have to balance both. Um, I have an online education platform, so it's specifically people after a portrait genre and portrait business. So it's my business model. It's a really successful business model, but it's something that, you know, I spend a lot of time teaching. I shoot three times a week, uh, twice for education and one client, and I have to keep at least four clients a month because then I am relevant. And uh, also, I still want to create Really beautiful it. photographs, yeah. 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 So who are your clients today? What sort of people are hiring you and who are you working with? So I don't photograph models. I only take domestic clients, everyday women, and uh, I just do a portrait session. I really sell one package, um, sort of gone are the days of offering a la carte and packaging. I'm at a stage now where I can price just one package um, so that starting package for me is $5,000. I take four commissions a month, and I think I've got a pretty solid yeah. waiting list for about three years. Three years it takes to get on the waiting list. So it's kind of silly at the moment, but it's also, I mean, I'm really lucky. and I'm Can Rob and I get on this waiting list? <laughs> yeah, can we get bumped up? Yeah. Rob, we have three years to get in shape and look good. Okay. Do you photograph men? or? I do. I probably photograph one man to every 100 women. Oh, wow. And I think there's this perception, I've heard it when people introduce me, she empowers women. And I think, no, I empower all human beings. I love men 
and women. I just don't uh, market to men because the women are the ones who spend the biggest amount of money. And so I, and the women bring them in. So that's a really big part of my marketing education yeah. is trying for a male photographer to speak female in their marketing and branding and for women photographers to um, – you know, also make sure that they're speaking the right language to the people that they want to attract into their studio. When you say people describe you as empowering women, why are, and, and you don't feel that so much, but why, why do you think they have that perception of you? What is it about your quality and the sensibilities you bring to the business that, that makes people feel empowered? So I guess um, the one thing I understand is many years ago when I started my business, I was walking through a mall, and a mall is designed to really entice women to spend money. Uh, malls are not designed for men. This is a woman's place. This is a woman's... And we are consumers by nature. It's in our DNA. So you have to speak female. And so I decided to create, because I'm more of a glamour brand or a beauty brand of portrait, more of a contemporary portrait style than family portraiture or newborns, I decided to speak to the women that I wanted in my studio the same way the makeup houses are speaking to me when I'm at a mall. Hmm. So I I became a very beauty-oriented, very transformational-oriented, very this is an experience of looking and feeling beautiful. This is about, you know, looking like the women in our magazines and discovering your true beauty and your inner beauty, and it suddenly became very feminine. Um, however, I was taught by a man. Uh, he created this brand and then taught me. Uh, I just grew with it and really extended through it and developed it further. And I just get the perception that I'm all female, but my following or Facebook statistics tell me 39% of my followers and students are male. And I did a men's intensive this year to make sure that the men were speaking in that feminine brand so they could attract lots of spending females into their studio. Think about it. A bride books you, not the groom, 98% of the time. The mum books the newborn shoot, the maternity shoot. Mm-hmm. Grandma books the family portrait. Mum books the family portrait. I've worked in a portrait studio for 28 years. Men don't call a studio. Women call. So I wanted to market to my audience. The women bring the husbands, the boyfriends. They bring corporate headshots. But it's the women I go after. Bring them and the men follow. So what's the experience like when I arrive at your studio for a shoot? What's the first thing that happens? I want you to experience what it feels like to be a Kardashian, if you will, or a supermodel for the day or a celebrity. I want you to walk in. My assistants are incredible. They're there. They're trained to make you feel good and enjoy the session. We get you to bring in five or six outfits, but I have over 100 gowns now, which I have been collecting, although I just want to make a note. I built a million-dollar studio without a single garment. Now this is just where I'm taking it to the next next level and you can come in and we choose and style your shoot right there with your clothes with my clothes then you're about an hour and a half with professional hair and makeup which is an incredible experience for most people as most people have never experienced that that. no you can be as casual as you want you can be as glamorous as you want you can have multiple looks in your shoot Uh, we just design it for you the shoot then takes around two hours we break for lunch I have a 10 seated table in my studio where we all eat together I feel like it keeps the energy up my team is really close we're like a family every time clients sit with us and eat they're just laughing and mostly they don't want to leave we take all of their photographs and then we help them pack up and we say goodbye so we spend a good part of the day 10 till 3 p.m we eat lunch you leave and then you come back within 10 days to view all of your portraits i print in-house i do all of my viewings live and printed that's amazing. What's the transformation that you see in the person that's coming in when they're going through this experience that they've never had before? I'm sure they must kind of flip in a way. They feel very different and present themselves differently in front of your camera. So most photographers understand what it's like to photograph somebody really cute mm-hmm. and really lean and someone that can move. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever photographed a working model, your work's cut out for you. You're really just right, clicking the button. they have the all button. the expressions. Yeah. You just bring them on. You're clicking the button and you're really focused on the technicality of light 
and what you want your image to look like. But when you're faced with a real human being, an everyday human being that isn't in good in front of the camera, they can't move, they're five foot two, you know, they're 200 pounds, whatever, mm-hmm. it's harder to shoot them. It's just a fact. The camera can be quite cruel like that. So <laughs> you can imagine most people, no matter how lean they are, no matter how young they are, no matter how beautiful they are, they come to you with a certain amount of vulnerability. And that all just comes out so fast. The second you touch that camera, everything they don't like about themselves comes forward and they'll tell you. And then you've got somebody who's frightened. So for me, it's about conversation, talking, being really assertive, owning my space, really telling them what to do right down to the last fingertip and eyelash so that they're not worried about it. And then you just see their confidence build and build. And for some, it's really quick, maybe five minutes. For others, it takes an hour. But then once they get into how much they're enjoying it, I do not shoot tethered because I don't want them to see their portraits. So they never see the images they as, don't. It, as it's happening. And I show them every now and then. I give them a little sneaky peek on the back of my camera. <laughs> and I make sure it's an image that's going to drop them to the floor. And after I do that, and I usually try and do it in the first sequence they pretty much are in a state of euphoria after that and And trust i assume that they trust you once they've seen this early image and they're like okay i can go with what she's telling me it's only safety and trust that's all they want is to feel safe to come forward and to just trust you enough to hold that space so what's the process like when they come back or most of them or all of them super excited and love the photos or do you ever get a client that is not on board Sure. I mean, I've dropped the ball. I still do. I'm not infallible. I'm certainly um, human. I have bad days and some days you don't connect with everybody. And yeah, I've definitely done shoots that didn't quite cut it. I always say this, if your income drops in any way, shape or form, you only have three areas you need to look at. Did you connect with your client? Did you educate your client? And did you deliver on what you promised? It's always one of those three things. It's never anything else. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you may not have delivered uh, more than what they expected of you, but you still didn't deliver for them. And that's what they're there for. They're paying the money. You have to deliver. So I decided in 2012 that if you walked into a studio and your images were printed, matted and ready to go, then surely you would just pay for them and leave. You didn't have to order anything. You didn't have to change your mind. You didn't have to go through that process of should I buy them, shouldn't I buy them. They're there, they're printed, they're done. And I started doing a printed reveal wall. So I created a wall in my studio with multiple shelves. And I display 30 images. And I sell 30 images every single time. And you can order wall portraits that day, but you literally wrap the box, give me your credit card and walk out with your images at the end of that session. And it is changing the way portrait photographers are selling all around the world. Do you recommend for portrait photographers to do their own printing? I know that a lot of photographers are intimidated by the process of just printing or getting a printer and... It's expensive when you make a mistake and it's printed incorrectly for whatever reason. It's not really expensive when you when you break it down. Okay. Um, here's the thing. No, I don't recommend it. It's another learning curve. Yeah. It's another expense. But when you are ready, and I was a seasoned photographer before I started printing, so I'd been doing this many years. Uh, you can always work with a great lab because it's great to have a relationship with a really great lab. But the truth is, is there's nothing more powerful in the world. Have you ever sat in a dark room? And oh, not since high school. I okay. lived in a dark room okay, for so years and years and years. You know when you've got that tray and yeah. you're seeing the image come up? I've got goosebumps. Yeah. I can't even describe it to you. I but, usually walk in on Rob getting high off the fixer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. usually the experience I have with you Rob. You know what? Printing your own work is it's the single phenomenal. most mind-blowing experience you'll ever have. And when you're ready to do it, like a Canon Pro 1000, it's affordable, it's cost-effective, it's cheaper than a lab, and it's a good size. And, you know, at 17 by 22 inches, you can get a 1620, beautiful 1620 or 1622 out of it, print multiple 7 by 10 for folio work mind-blowing i'm addicted to it are you printing off of a roll or are you printing on sheets on the pro 1000 i print on sheets on the pro 4000 which is 44 inches wide i have the big rolls what is your go-to paper 
What, are oh, you, what papers are you in love not with? Not what most people would expect. I'm really into having a cost-effective business. I love all the German rags. I love Hammer Mule. I love all of the fiber-based papers that remind me of darkroom days in the 90s. But I print on Luster. Good old Canon Luster. Why? It's cheap. It's affordable. But get this. I got my printer. I printed 23 different images on 23 sheets of paper. I showed them to friends who are not photographers. I showed them to clients and I showed them to photographers. Every single time, three images got down to the final three. One was fiber-based because when you touch it, I mean, yeah, fiber-based fiber. paper just yeah. makes you, I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, hammer mule, like a, a rag, a German rag, but not a pitted one because I want the skin to look beautiful. And luster, good old luster. It's semi-sheen. It's not glossy. It's so durable. It's the cheapest paper they make, and it's pretty much ninety nine percent of what I use in the big roll, and um, in the in the small sheets as well. And I will say, I don't get the extra matte, although I love it because the blacks are quite grey, and I want black blacks. Yeah. Do you still go back in the darkroom ever? I don't get an opportunity to, but I yeah. would tomorrow. And I still have my first um, Hasselblad medium format Hasselblad. Like I still can shoot it. Yeah, or C500 rather. It is the best camera. I used it for 12 years before I went to Canon. Yeah, they're phenomenal. Yeah. What was your go-to lens on that system? Um, Okay, so on that system I had an 85 mil, but then back in those days I also had a big studio space. Then I went to 35 mil Canon. Then I went to the first Kodak Digital, and then by then Canon uh, released the 10D. So I went. So I was on a 35mm format and I was pretty much using the 50mm the majority of the time. Or it came with a kit lens, which is the 24105. ended up using that all the time. But back in the Hasselblad, it was always the big 85. Yeah. And yeah. it was a 1.4. And it was such a beautiful lens. So what are you shooting on now? What is your go-to setup? I have seven care? Mark IVs. Seven. And the reason I have seven is because I record education, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the sexiest camera I've ever used, and I can honestly tell you, I love it so much. I really? just, yeah. Why? Oh, I love shooting video. I just, it's a, it's just got such a good. Oh. Everything that was weak about the Mark III got fixed in the Mark IV, and I don't know. What would be just, your recommendation for any improvements? for the next generation of Canon camera? I don't actually know what they'd improve with this. We don't need more megapixels, so uh, we certainly don't need more focal points. Um, There's like a million focal points in the Mark IV? 63. Oh, 63. (laughs) Close. Close to a million. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's a great camera. Do you miss medium format? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course I do. And I tried shooting digital medium format, but... Just for Rob and I shoot, can me. we use the Hasselblad in 2021? Is it? You want to do film? <laughs> yeah, sure. I think that'd be cool. Not a problem. We do a Hasselblad digital. Yeah. <laughs> well, by then the iPhone will probably have taken over the oh, world. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like <laughs> in three years. Yeah. And uh, another question: If your studio is built kind of like a mall, is there a Cinnabon? No. <laughs> and did you know? You I didn't know what w- Cinnabon was until about three months ago. And then somebody was talking about it. And I was like, somebody, where do you find these Cinnabons? <laughs> and they're like, it's at every airport. And I thought, I've oh, never yeah. seen one. Yeah. So I ate one and I went into a sugar coma. Of course, oh, yeah. You were in shock. You're, 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 yeah. I guess 1,200 calories. It's, it's like a day's worth of food. Right. It's great while you're doing it, but afterwards, oh, you're yeah, worthless. It's like crack cocaine. Yeah, I yeah. Just, yeah. You go through withdrawals. <laughs> it's a bad idea. But by 2021, maybe there could be one. Or maybe we'll just get it delivered for Rob and I shoot. <laughs> are you are you looking forward to this? Absolutely, are you <laughs> kidding? Awesome, but being photographed by Sue, it's going to be the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> do you ever photograph people together? or Is it just one person? Um, no, I photograph people together. I do a lot of couple shoots. I still shoot families. I just don't advertise families. So if people want to be photographed, their whole family, I definitely do it. I photographed Susan Stripling yesterday with her dog. Oh, awesome. I would really. Do you know the the photo of Burt Reynolds on a bearskin rug i do i would love if you could (laughs) with his hat on does he have his cowboy hat on no No. i don't think so but he's He's basically naked on a he's naked but Ah. he's not showing anything i would love it i would i would love to commission that you're gonna have to find a bearskin rug i definitely Uh, don't have one i got three years (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna have a a a couple different variations brown black white would be great you ready for this rob are you willing to do this Oh. <laughs> you didn't think this podcast was going to go there, yeah, did you? Yeah, it did go there. Cinnabons and Naked Rob. 
<laughs> on a bearskin rug. Where has this How did gone? this happen? I don't most know. People, this is from the mind um, of Gary Martin. Most yeah, people meet me and want to be naked to some degree. Yeah. Just happens. Used to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about education. What was what what draws you to education, and how did you get into it? Because you, I don't, I can't think of one person that does more education than you. Yeah, look, I, for starters, I tried many times in my career. When my career felt like it wasn't going anywhere, I tried to leave and go and do something else, and I just keep coming back and keep coming back to photography. Um, and there is a time, I think, around twenty three years where I was just like there's got to be more to life than being a photographer like I'm bored and I'm always trying to learn something new and I'm always trying to create something new and it's just I, I got to a stage where it's like if I could do anything in the world right now what would I do and I still found nothing after I started to speak um, also you have to understand I'm not into public speaking like when I first got asked to speak for Canon I had to speak to a room of 25 people. I had severe anxiety for six weeks. Like I, I walked on the beach every day and practiced. I looked like a crazy woman. I was like <laughs> walking along, talking to myself, introducing myself. And um, I always say to people, you don't know what you know until you start teaching it. And then all of a sudden I had to write this one day curriculum for Canon and present it. And I started to write and I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I just wrote for days and days and days and days and days and days. And I was like, I've been doing this for so long. You can't trip me up. I've used every camera on the market. I have tried every form of marketing and selling there is. I trialed the first version of Photoshop. It wasn't called Photoshop. And every version since. I've owned every digital SLR Canon has made. I have been in every client situation you could possibly be in. I've had the freakiest situations I've experienced it and the more I started to talk about it and teach it I just didn't realize what I knew until I started to do it I also thought one day here's this I started in this business when glamour photography in the 80s was really cool and then it was really not cool it was so disgusting and glamour everyone, shots yeah, yeah and everyone was like ooh, yeah. yuck but I was 22. I didn't want to shoot families and babies and weddings. I would have rather stick pins in my eyes than shoot a wedding. <laughs> That's a bad idea for a photographer, by the way, to stick pins in your eyes. I shot 102 weddings, and I thought, I'm going to kill myself. I hate it. I hate it. So, yeah, I shot two, and yeah, that was enough. Yeah, there you go. See, 102. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so then I just started to reinvent glamour photography, made it more fashion, but for the everyday woman, keep the makeover, keep the experience, keep the transformation, and my studio just blew up. So when my studio got really big in 2003, nobody in the world looked like me. I mean, boudoir was making a comeback, but there was certainly no glamour photography, no contemporary portrait, no magazine-style photography. It was either lifestyle or commercial or old-fashioned portrait and I was just like people started to discover my studio and we're doing 20k a week in 2004 and then it's really successful model I'm marketing it and it's really genre specific and then the world started to notice and go where have you been and I was like working and then it's just a great business model and it works. And my actual thought was, how would I ever retire from this and not pass this on? It's so cool. Yeah. And it's been my whole life. My, longer than I've been alive, I've done this. And uh, I just feel like it's an incredible experience to learn. Te yeah. Teaching is really wonderful because it makes you stop, break down your process. And you do discover things about the way you work that you completely take for granted because it's so second nature. You'd never, ever think about it. Was there anything in, in your process that you, when you were going back and kind of thinking and writing about the stuff that you do that surprised you? Oh, like, all of it. Yeah. You know, it was the single most transformational time in my life, building a business, learning about money, learning yeah. how to feel valuable enough to receive money, pricing myself. Did you feel guilty about charging people? Hugely guilty. Why? Like disgusting shame around it. It was like I should be doing it for free. No. I don't. No. I know. That's what I was like. <laughs> I And I could not. Here's the thing. I was working as a working photographer for 12 years. My boss was selling my work for seven grand. I went out on my own. I couldn't sell a shoot for 400. I felt so Why? bad. Because he was selling it. I wasn't selling anything. Now I teach photographers how to felt, sell. And you felt guilty about, about charging people, so you I lowered your prices so much? guilt and shame. 
guilt. How you get over this? This really surprises me, and I'm not. I I, I kind of want to dig in and find out sure. why you felt this guilt and shame. Okay, so the first thing you'll understand is people who push money away. It's because there's only two energies that push money away. One is guilt, and one is shame. I grew up in a blue collar family of hard working people. My parents did not get a tertiary education. Neither did we. I left high school when I was 15 years old. That doesn't mean I'm stupid. Of it just means not. I'm uneducated. I embraced that right from the beginning, and I said, you don't need an education to build a business. In fact, at business school, they don't teach you anything about making money or business. It's all hypothetical and yep. and theory. And the truth is, is what it takes is for you to value the product and service that you're selling. And I started to try and sell, and I was crippled by it. I was pushing money away. I was bleeding money. And then uh, three things happened. One is a mentor or a photographer who I was retouching for to try and pay my bills as I was starting my business pulled me aside and said, listen here, this is what you have to do. You create a price list and then you put it down in front of the people and you say, this is the product and service that I offer and this is the price list and then you educate them. When they come back in for the viewing, you sit down and you say, these are your beautiful portraits, this is my price list, these are my products, what would you like to order? And then you shut up and you stop talking. Let them, let them make the yeah. decision. Shut up and get out of the way. Shut up and get out of the way. So I would literally stop talking. I would be filled with guilt and shame, but I stopped talking. And then the first night, I did three sales back to back that evening, and I did everything not to speak. I was so wracked with shame. I just sat there thinking, don't speak. No matter what happens, don't talk and let them make the decision. Because people only either, ever say yes, no, or maybe. If they say yes, you say, how would you like to pay for that? If they say no, you go down a package and you try again. And if they say maybe, they're asking for more information or something else to sweeten the deal. And you're done. It's that easy. It's just so uncomfortable when you first try. So I had to really work on my self-value. And now self-value is one of the biggest parts of my education. Until I can teach you to value what you're making and produce it as a product, value the service and your time, you're not going to receive money for it. And you're not going to keep that money until you value yourself. And here's the crazy part. It changes overnight. And as soon as you make the decision to stop talking and stop putting yourself down and out, you're going to start making income. It's crazy. It is like magic. What do you think the, the number one thing new photographers struggle with? Pricing themselves and valuing themselves and calling themselves a professional. They don't stand up and say, my name is Sue Bryce and I'm a portrait photographer. They have social anxiety. They're crippled around their pitch. They can't speak. They don't value themselves. They struggle to say, I've been a photographer for six months or a year. Even the ones that pick it up so fast and really good at it. They, they are so frightened, but they're spending all of their energy in validation and none of their energy in actual action because they're so looking for validate me tell me I'm good enough tell me I'm good enough and unfortunately that validation the first place that that comes to you is through selling so if you buy my work I will be validated but they're not selling their work they're getting in the way of selling so they're just pushing people away and it's such a back and forth it's I think a lot of photographers are also worried about the competition what they're selling and they and they undervalue themselves and the packages and the products that they offer because they're worried about the photographer down the road, what they're charging. Yeah, well, look, if Johnny down the road is spending $75, Johnny's not going to be in business in three months, or he's going to find me, and I'm going to teach him how to charge properly, and then Johnny's going to be competing with you. But don't worry about Johnny, because Johnny doesn't know what he's doing. $75 is not going to pay Jack. Let's face it. He's going to get $5 an hour, and he knows he's not sustainable. He's not registered. He's not paying tax, and he's not managing any form of sustainability in business. He's learning. So when you look at him down the road and go, Johnny is selling a CD for $75 with 80 images, and it's like, it's okay. Johnny's not your competition. Are You're people a professional. still selling CDs? Is that a thing? No, sorry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a metaphor. Yeah, no, a I, stick I or a Dropbox or so a digital package. They say you have to have the work to get the work. What's your opinion on working for free? I've worked for free many times. You know, sometimes the best way to get attention is to work. Okay, really great interview with Dave Grohl. 
And he's like, "How? what do you tell musicians right now? How do you make money? Dave was like, play music, play on the street, play at a bar, play at home, play in a garage, play at parties, play for free. Somebody's going to hear you play every day. It doesn't matter if you're getting paid, just play. Busk, do what you have to do. Someone's going to see you. Someone's going to hear you. But don't sit around in your lounge and hope that someone will discover you because that's the mistake we make. We take no action. We talk about why nothing's working, why nobody's giving us the right amount of attention. Take photos, take photos for free, work, work for cheap, work for free. It doesn't matter, but don't cry about not making money. Build your folio, build your skill set, build your confidence, build your power, and someone's going to see your work. Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, connect, connect show do do something stop sitting around and talk but what do I say stop worrying about what you're saying you might say the wrong thing I screwed up multiple times and said the wrong thing on my Facebook page I got people upset I've deleted posts I still delete posts when I miss the ball but just be there be a presence be a force and start walking towards it you're never going to get anything if you don't take any form of action so just take photographs and find a way to pay the bills if I was to go back I'd deliver pizza if I had to if I had to when I go back to that beginning time I did what I had to do but I always followed my gut and the best piece of advice I got was from a very successful portrait photographer in Australia Robert Piccoli he said to me this when somebody looks at you Sue Bryce and says will you do this for free or will you do this will you do this will you do this he said you look at them and straight away the first thing you think is what's in it for me now you do you say it out loud sure what's in it for me Okay, Rob, I'll do that, but what's in it for me? And you know, the truth is, is there's always something they can give you. And if it's not money, it's a connection, it's an introduction, it's a door in to something, people can always give you something. But it must be equal exchange. You must be able to stand there and say, hey, what's in it for me? And if not saying it, think it. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And if you can see an opportunity, because I hear too many photographers going, wah, wah, people ask me for this for exposure. Did you say what's in it for me? No, that's, a, that's the distinction. I think so many photographers, and I had a, a couple of young photographers working in my studio, one in particular who was amazingly talented, and when he broke out on his own, he kept working for free, and he's been caught in that trap of people know him as the guy who works for free okay. and I, th- I don't think people are thinking okay what's in it for me they're thinking okay if I do this for free then somehow I'm going to get more work but they're still it's gonna, being passive it's going to be right they're being passive that's what I'm saying there's yeah. they're just thinking that by putting that image in their portfolio that nope. it's going to have a yield and they're not thinking okay I have to be active about this right now and then turn it into an actual action so you know what He's not selling. He's not selling himself. He's not selling his time. He's not selling his work. And he's not selling his folio. And really, he's just not selling himself. It's too easy to hide behind it and not sell because we have this big problem with selling. Like we're going to be dirty oil salesmen. All I'm doing (laughs) is offering you a product and service. If you desire it, you're going to buy it. It's that simple. It's your choice. I'm not sleazy. I'm not dirty. I love what I do. I'm here to serve you. I just want to entice you into my studio so I can take your photograph. And I want to take the best photograph you've ever seen of yourself. That's what I want. And that is infused in everything that I write and say. So let's, let's stay on the topic of newer photographers. Um, what would you recommend them buying first? Um, would you recommend them focusing in mastering natural light? Um, would you focus them on learning strobes? You know, what, what, what's the first step? Because we always see a, a common trend of what camera do I buy? What lens do I buy? And it seems to be the never-ending question. what lighting question. do I buy? Yeah, what lighting do I buy? Do I need to spend on pro photo or whatever that is, you know? Uh, so I built a million-dollar-a-year business with a window. So I didn't pick up strobes again until much later in my career. So I believe you can start natural light, and mastering natural light is incredible. Probably one of the first things most photographers will do would be to go and shoot a wedding and then they start shooting weddings. You're going to learn more as a wedding photographer than in any situation in your life. You're going to learn about herding cats. You're going to learn about weather, lighting situations like you've never seen. 
mother-in-laws like you've never seen. You're going to learn so much. <laughs> but the truth is, is you must build a folio first. So it's, I think what you need to do is decide what genre you're the most captivated by and then build into that folio, learn as much as you can from the people who have mastered that genre and then start building that folio. Uh, I wouldn't worry about lights unless it's a big part of that folio building. And then you can do with speed lights, as you know, what you can do with a pro photo light. It's not quite as easy, but it's definitely doable. Like you can hack your way through pretty much anything. So what lights do you use? I've got the Profoto B1, and I have two of them, but I try to only ever shoot with one, um, just because it's the light that I'm really obsessed with right now. I also have a Stella 5000 when I need to put a pop of natural light into anything. I can bounce it into a V-flat um, or off the wall just to add to my natural light, but I'm still predominantly natural light. What are your go-to modifiers? What, which one are you just... Five-foot octa. Five-foot octa. With the double diffusion, just because it's big and soft and beautiful, and I have the extra large umbrella in white and silver. Bigger the better for me. What about beauty dishes? Does that ever come out during the shoot? I photograph real women. Beauty dishes are too harsh. And honestly, they're very directional, and they're really great for models. But I don't think they have much of a place in portraiture, even though I do a lot of beauty-style portraiture. It's a little too directional. That's for, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're photographing a 20-year-old with flawless skin, uh, that's great. But I need the big softness of a window. That's what my modifiers do. What's the average age? Is there one of, of women coming to you? Uh, a business expert once said to me, what is my demographic? And I said, female, 8 to 80. And he said, that's not a demographic. That's, <laughs> that's a gender. And yeah. I was like, yeah, pretty much. I said, there's 3 billion women on this planet, and I'd like to photograph them. So, Can I ask you about gender? Sure. Because I, I have two daughters, and um, I, the, I love this business. It's been so fabulous to me. But I see it being so male dominated i don't agree anymore well in the advertising side i think it yeah is. sure um but I, i'm really curious from your point of view i think your sensibilities as a woman c- clearly commands an ability that a man would not necessarily have in in doing the work that you do um so i'm just really i'm curious about your position of gender in the world of photography it's something I'm quite outspoken about because yeah. I feel like I've been pigeonholed as someone who only teaches women. And I, I do teach men, so I don't understand it. I was taught by a man, but I was taught by a man who loves women, loves mm. them, loves talking to them, loves being with them, loves hanging out with them. He doesn't objectify women. He's not like the fashion photographer that photographs the hot 20-year-old chicks, which you see all the time. It's very cliche. Yeah. And then, yes, women photographers are newborn photographers, boudoir photographers, and glamour photographers predominantly, although my genre and business model is fast getting a big male following. I don't believe men can't do this. It's been proven to me time and time again that they can. I would just like them to know if you're going to photograph everyday women you're not going to have hot 20 year olds like i have some guys <laughs> is uh, that the lesson that men have to learn that well, you're not going to have a hot 20 come year on, old this is not just about like shooting uh, shooting uh, the centerfold right. you know my i i really kind of i do marvel at the cliche but it is a big cliche why? There's 3 billion women on this planet that cook for their families, but the top 20 chefs in the world are men. And I mean... At my house, if I'm not cooking, my kids are going hungry, <laughs> I tell you that one. <laughs> but however, the world's changing. Yeah. Men are cooking for their families now, and yeah. it's okay. Women are being in business. If you read Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, 19.5% of women in Fortune 500, Fortune 5000 seats in Parliament and seats in CEO power in New Zealand are female. 19.5. That's extraordinary That's awesome. Low. I know we could use that here. 7% in America. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see more women at business. Me too. But do you know what? I'd like to see more men in good business actually making money, actually saving money right. and being sustainable. I'd like to see the industry be better in business. Yeah, me too. That's exactly yeah. the reason why I teach. I think that there's been... Um, a degradation of the business, particularly with digital, because now it's so easy to get a good image because you can allow that camera that has six microprocessors to to create a good image for you. And it's easy to quickly get that and then go sell it when you haven't really learned the value of uh, truly making an image and what it costs. And 
Um, I know the business is the business is interesting. It's been so fabulous. I just I want everybody to experience what I have. Do you know, you know? it's something that I tell people? Um, see, falling in love with printing gives me such a visceral feeling. Like I feel so incredibly moved by printing, and it helps raise your value. Like, how can I not sell this? It's like it's giving me a physical reaction just watching this print come to life. And I've created this. I'm a master craftsman. Right. is the words I want you to hold to you. I'm a master craftsman. I've mastered my craft, and I'm a craftsman. I made this. I painted with light. I created this. I finished it. I did the detail on it, and today I'm printing this piece that will outlive me. Like the impact of that right. is so real for me that I... You have a physical reaction. I do, and yeah. I can't look at photographers and not try and give them that look how valuable this is, look how incredible this is. When this person passes on, as they will, this print will become more valuable than anything this family owns. You made that. It will outlive you. Do you think there's any other business where you could have that that sense, that physical response to, I'm doing something important? Certainly not delivering pizza. Yeah. I think if I was not taking photographs, then the irony is I took photographs to show women how beautiful they are and so that they would love themselves. I teach photographers how to sell their work so that they understand their self-value. I would be teaching self-value because I don't – it's really what I teach. It's what I do. I just use photography as a medium to teach people that they're worth getting paid and keeping that money. It's really fascinating. You've come a very long way from that woman who felt crippled and ashamed to actually charge people for work. Now you want to empower everybody to feel that they are important, that the work that they're creating is important, and it's worth the money that they can charge. Yeah. It took me a while to work that out. Yeah. If Good you, thing you did. <laughs> if you weren't a photographer, if that wasn't an, an option, what would you be doing? Teaching self-value. Teaching self-value. Yeah. I just can't think of any. It's the conversation I have every day. Have you ever heard the term, what are your highest values? Sure. Uh, look at, sit in your lounge or visualize yourself sitting in your own lounge right now and look around. What can you see? What's the first thing that comes to you? What do you talk about every day? What do you talk about with strangers? What would you have a conversation with somebody waiting at a bus stop? What do you talk to waitresses about waiters? You know, I have that conversation with everybody. For me, it's who are you? Where are you going? What do you want? How do you get there? And do you value yourself enough to go after this? Everybody knows what they want. They'll tell you they don't, but they do. Everybody knows where their mind goes and what they dream of. But most people just don't know how to get it or don't believe they're worth it. And if you understand that, you can have whatever you want in this universe if you go after it because you do deserve it and you can have it. Well, if the photography thing doesn't work out for you, I think you <laughs> would have a tremendous career in reading audiobooks. Thank you. I, I, have yes. you, have you. Has anyone ever told you that? Yes. I get told probably on a weekly basis oh, that I should okay. be Siri, yeah. I should be GPS. <laughs> yes. And yes. You're a good Siri. Yeah, GPS. And yeah. also I, right? get, I could read the phone book and people would apparently buy it. I actually... That's uh, a mad skill, Siri. <laughs> my Siri is uh, Australian because I love getting directions in the Australian accent. Well, mine is not really? Australian. I know. That's New Zealand. Mine's English because American it? Siri doesn't understand me. Oh, really? So I have to have English Siri. I don't know why. <laughs> there isn't a New Zealand Siri. Yeah. That's why. You should definitely read kids' books. Oh, <laughs> oh man. That would be so therapeutic. I would, I would listen to kids' books. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're so. So, are you are you shooting anything personal? Do you have personal projects where you're you know not with clients? Okay, what I'm suffering from right now is um, I'm suffering from every now and then I remind myself that I'm an artist and I work 15 hours a day and I stop creating art. I love New York. I was just about I was just about to say in case in case you guys need a reminder, we're in New York City right now, as you can tell by the blaring. Those horns are screaming. If you're in the car right now, those horns aren't honking at you. (laughs) (laughs) They're honking at us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, it's like you just have to create art every now and then and I've stopped doing it. So I'm having a craving and I need to scratch that really really quickly because it just destroys me if I'm all work I just forget to play and I forget what joy is because you can lose your joy very quickly working yeah. and you've got to go back to joy otherwise you, you're screwed. so what are the things you do that make you joyous outside of photography when you put the camera down what do you like to do well uh, I like to draw I like to oh, read right I like to watch movies any movies I just I'm obsessed with movies and how they're made and directing and how people act and 
and reading and drawing are two things that take a lot of time that I yeah. shelf very quickly. What's the last movie you saw? Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, Okay. We stumped her. Yes, yes finally. <laughs> finally. She doesn't have the perfect response, finally. American Made. I went I to the movies that. and saw it. Tom Cruise, it's a true story about oh, yeah. uh, CIA and drug trafficking, and it's it was hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> but I love yeah. Tom. I'm a yeah. Tom Cruise fan. Are you really? Oh, yeah. How, how wow. Could you not I love be? him. You're not a Tom Cruise fan? I like I all I Tom I've, Cruise movies. I think I've burnt out on it. Yeah. I think you also don't go to the movies anymore. The I last do. movie Rob saw in theaters was Piglet's, Piglet's Big, Big Adventure. That's not true, actually. <laughs> what was the last movie the you Lion saw? The Lion King? I told you. It was a terrible movie called The Stray. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a kid's movie I saw with my 10-year-old, and it is, it is a god-awful movie about a dog. <laughs> and it's just terrible. What's the dog do? What? Is it sad? Is the dog it's a really jerk? It's really sad. Here's, here's why this movie is bad. Um, and, I, and I feel sorry for saying this, because I know that the, the writer-director, he's done a lot of other great movies. Uh, this was a true story about something that happened to his his family. Um, they were in L.A., and they found this stray dog, and their family was falling apart. He was working all the time. He was working at a movie studio, writing, 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 and kind of spinning his wheels. Does the dog kill the kids? No, they moved to no. Colorado, no. and um, he's trying to help his son meet some new friends, and they, they get a couple neighborhood boys, and they go out camping uh, up in the, in the mountains, and they take this dog with him. Who's, this dog is like <laughs> this wondrous dog. They're... They are trying to find this mountain lake, and they, they're getting lost. They can't find it. It's starting to get windy and snowy. They set up a tent. They start making hot chocolate. A lightning bolt comes down into the tent, and the dog senses it. The dog runs in front of the father. The lightning bolt strikes the dog, strikes the father, strikes all three kids. The father's really hurt. The dog dies. Um, and then it's their struggle to get back off the mountain. And I swear to you, this movie started out sad. It never stopped being sad. The funeral for the dog. Did you cry? Took twenty minutes. No, but that. my wife was bawling. <laughs> I mean, she was. She had tears streaming down her face. I'm looking at my wife and my daughter, and I can tell that they're really into it and they're going with the story. And I'm thinking, this is so poorly written. It's so poorly <laughs> shot. Yeah. Everything about this movie, I hate. <laughs> Where was the last time you cried watching a movie? Uh, Lion. Okay, that's I, a pretty I, big I one. Cried my eyes out. Yeah, like, and I hadn't cried that hard since Braveheart for sure. The light between us. I yeah. watched um, coming home from Italy, and I actually was heaving like I was doing the. <gasps> on like the plane. couldn't yeah. breathe. Yeah. yeah, people were like, "What is going on? It <laughs> yeah. is just devastating." Uh, man, did you see Lion? I did. I oh. read the book first. Oh man, yeah. Because he's I, an Australian. I guy. watched it with my wife at home. And I just lost. Remarkable I, at the very end, story. just lost it. Mm. And, and true story. Yeah, I had no idea. Eighty thousand kids a year go disappear in India. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Eighty thousand. I mean, granted, there's good lord, a yeah, much higher crazy. number of them. That was a beautifully written, directed oh, man. film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the book is great if you want to read the book first. Yeah. Good to know. Have, so let's talk a little bit about drawing. What do you like drawing? Uh, people. People. So I draw what I photograph. You photograph people and you draw people. So when I was a kid, yeah. I would draw a girl's face with her hair blowing. I've been drawing the same face for about 40 years. You've been drawing the same face? Pretty much, yeah. And now yeah. I photograph it. So I, I look at my drawings. My drawings look like my work. My work looks like my drawings. It's just the way it is. So it's what I'm meant to do. Do you yep. think in the AM for Rob and I shoot, we could do photography and then you draw us I can. Lunch? I could do yes. a, a live study. Oh. With the Are naked you? bare skin, I think it's gonna look great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe she draws. Maybe she draws you. I gotta get in shape. We have, <laughs> Rob, we have got three, three years. years. Yeah, I know. We I'm have three years. <laughs> We're gonna go run that hundred kilometer thing in uh, down south. Oh, next December with Tomas. Okay, in Patagonia. Great. Nice. And, uh, so, have so you watched? There's a dog documentary called Arthur. Have you seen that? You must no. let your that kids watch it. Uh -oh, sure. It's a true story. Yeah. It's about a Danish team that came over um, to do the cross country, like the big. They do the. It's like an Ironman, but right. worse. You know, and they've just. It's really more about survival than anything. A dog followed them, and it. They took it back. It's an incredible story. It's called Arthur documentary. No lightning bolts for None. the dog? No. no. And the good. dog lives. That's good. I'll just give you that. I'll, I'll spoiler alert. I appreciate that. Spoiler. Yeah. But you will cry because it's so inspirational. Yeah. All right. Good to know. We'll do that. <laughs> so uh, with your platform now, what you mentioned earlier that you're teaching twice a week. Are these live? How do you find new things to keep teaching? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I can't stop. I just create in my sleep. I wake up with the craziest ideas every single day. Um... 
I shoot twice a week, but I teach every day. My group has 45,000 photographers in it, and I'm in there three, four hours a day with them. Uh, I have a closed circuit broadcast, which goes live every Tuesday. Three hours every day? Uh, Tuesday. Oh, on Tuesday. Oh, no, in my big group. Yeah, yeah, I'm in there. Three three hours a day? Four, usually. Do you find with social media, do you do this on your phone or your computer? Uh, Both. Both. I I have to carry a charger with me. I charge my phone three times a day. Does it drive you crazy having to be on social media all the time? Yes. Yeah. Do you know why? Because I realized that we have this idea of, because it's not anonymous. It's not like Twitter. People don't troll you. You're in a group of people. Um, But there are many diverse personalities. And unfortunately, on any given day, they can go trolling horribly wrong. well they yeah. can and i'm always managing people and drama and that tires me out but at the end yeah. of the day i have to reconnect to why i do this and why i have this. do you think you have to have that much interaction do you need to spend four hours a day managing the drama that's on the, in these i groups? don't and i have administrators and i have volunteers and people that help me tirelessly but they get sick of the drama as well i mean it's not all drama there's lots of good stuff too right. but it is a job in itself and it's part of being connected and engaged to an audience my engagement is really high and i want it to be me answering the questions i mean i can't get to all yeah. of them but and i sleep so I what is so. what is the sue bryce guide to not being a jerk online <laughs> lay it out for me just understand that everything you read is not what you perceive, but what you perceive through your own filter. So if you're feeling vulnerable and needing validation, whatever somebody says to you could hurt. And the first place you should look is at yourself. Why am I hurt by this? Why am I envying this person? Why am I angry by this post? Why am I upset by this because we respond before we even look at why we feel this way it's always about us it's about the filter we're seeing things through and sometimes when you feel desperate and lonely and scared you know you can feel yeah like people are attacking you online and they're just trying to help you i mean it's it's always your filter i always say the biggest thing in my group is mirror mirror You know, the first thing you do is hold a mirror up to yourself. How much of this is true? How much do I believe this? How much of this is an old programming that I believe that I'm holding on to? You should make little mirrors, little Sue Bryce mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be awesome. I'd get one. That would be Uh, great. You could walk around. For sure. (laughs) You'd check yourself out? Yeah. Yeah. I could check. Look at this. Got a mirror right there. Got a big one. Too funny. So what's next for you? What, what, what's on the horizon? What are you looking forward to the most? Oh, my gosh. If I could dream up a new platform, I would create one called Subarice Business. I'd George, like... George, get on that. <laughs> Taking notes back there. <laughs> I would like to create a platform where all creatives can learn about small business. I call it solopreneurship. Obviously, entrepreneurship is you have big ideas, you want to build a company, but the solopreneur is somebody that wants to be self-employed, but they're the chief cook, bottle washer, marketer. They're the technician. They're also the entrepreneur. Uh, They're the salesperson and often the bookkeeper. You're wearing um, 50 hats and you're trying to manage that and replenish yourself and produce really good content. And you're doing that because... Um, obviously, it's something that you want to uh, be part, every part of your business. And when you first start out, you've got no money and it's really hard to outsource anything. So I want to I teach a business platform that's more general to the world. Uh, we have the Portrait Masters. Portrait Masters came about because I wanted a conference and I wanted a conference that was just portraiture. I go to conferences, most of the speakers aren't relevant to me, they're commercial, they're wedding. I want portraiture to really dominate in the world of photography. I want portrait photographers to charge what they're worth, whatever your genre is. I want to teach them how to make money. Portrait Masters now has an accreditation program, has an awards, it has a yearly conference. Uh, We've got another one coming up next year. We just did our first one in Palm Springs and it was incredible. We've got the the world's best portrait photographers coming it's um it's endless you, and i just don't want to stop right you mentioned now. there's an accreditation program yeah what does that mean what's um so all of the awards in the world like wppi and nzipp and aipp they're the biggest awards in the world and i have 39 international awards and i worked really hard for them but you can't get your accreditation unless you're entering and winning awards. And the awards really it becomes more of a Photoshop competition instead of an accreditation. So 
I really wanted to create just a portrait accreditation so that you can actually have seven masters around the world and they're all masters, they're all incredible international judges, judge your work over 50 images and decide whether or not you're at a professional standard, accredit you as an associate and then a master portrait photographer and you can display that logo and that accreditation on your website. You know, is it important? I don't know whether our clients really care. Was it important to me? Yeah, I didn't get that education. So being accredited with the AIPP and the NZIPP was the greatest turning point of my life as a professional photographer. I felt that I was reaching that sort of level with the sort of hierarchy of the photographic industry. I was proving my chops that I could do this. My work was technically good. My studio was great. I felt like I was being rewarded and noticed it was a big deal for me. That's why I wanted to create it for other photographers. Yeah, it's important that we stand up and say, I've done the work, I've mastered this, and now I can put myself out there and know that I'm deserving of that. I'm so freaking motivated right yeah, now. Well, <laughs> and we agree. We've, we've been talking about the same things for a long time. Um, it's interesting. It, um, for photographers to, to really have that understanding of how to create their craft um, and feel that sense of pride and accreditation and... Uh, validation is incredibly important. Well, also, you have online education. Yeah. If you never come to a live workshop or you never meet me at a live workshop, you're just learning online. You still have no concept of where you're at, what you're doing, where you're rated yourself. It's so confusing. And oh. people, you know, speaking of the Dunning-Kruger um, sort of... Uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, Psychology 101, those that are really brilliant and find things easy, forget how hard this is for other people, those who are sort of at the other end of the spectrum can think that they're brilliant because they're too stupid to notice their own sort of inadequacy. So somewhere in between, we're just constantly pushing out to the universe to say, am I good enough? I'm fledgling. Tell me I'm good enough. And it's about somebody looking at them and going, yes, you're at a professional standard. Start selling. And uh, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us that we're good enough. All anybody wants is for someone to say you're good enough. And that's the hardest part. Your mum will tell you you're good. Or even worse, your brother-in-law will tell you you suck and you're never going to make it. And neither of them are important. That sounds like my (laughs) brother-in-law. Neither of them matter. It's because you're never going to make it, Rob. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You are something else. Sorry, Rob and I have this... I got uh, that. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah, weird yeah. relationship. But it's, it's only during the podcast. It's not like this in real life. Oh, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> well, it's not as bad in real life. <laughs> no, it's far worse. <laughs> for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Far worse for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sue, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Really appreciate your... Uh, I know you had a really busy week, so we do appreciate it. My any, pleasure. Any uh, final... Jerry Springer final thoughts you want to <laughs> leave our audience with? Uh, you know... At the end of the day, I'm yes, I'm uneducated, and yes, I'm a poor kid from South Auckland. My first boss told me that I was poor, uneducated, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks, and I lack the people skills to be a photographer. And that's fine. When he told me that, it was true. And I learned, and I learned, and I learned, and I learned. Uh, the two things you need in business is certainty and conviction, uh, because I'm certain that this is what I wanted, and I had the conviction to follow through with it every day and take action, even when I was the most terrified. But it's consistency that makes a business. Do it every day. Do it even if you're not getting paid. Do it when it hurts. Do it when it makes you cry because you want it and you want to do it and you want to do it every day and that's how you do it. And, you know, nobody's ever going to um, get in your way when you're actually doing the work. If you talk about it, people will tell you their limits. But when you're doing it, nobody tells you their limits. They just watch you and then one day they go, how did you do that? And you tell them this new story and that changes your story. Because what comes out of your mouth then becomes what I think is what I say, what I say is what I do. Mm-hmm. And then my actions define my character and my character defines my destiny. And if you're walking towards it, nobody, nobody can put you back. That was Very like a, solid. That was... Like 38,000 final thoughts that you're, were all gems. You're feeling good. You're feeling I, motivated God, and you want to get I out and do something. I am so now. freaking motivated we should to go, go do for something. A run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. And then drink more Woodford. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. And to download this episode and the entire season five, you can go to rggedupodcast.com and also sub- subscribe for free on iTunes, Google, Rob, where else? MySpace and MySpace, Vine. MySpace and Vine. <laughs> <laughs> on SoundCloud. <laughs> 
and Google. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Sue. Pardon me. I'm still feeling the gassy after effects of that lonely cheeseburger. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Ellen Chrome. The team at Ellen Chrome believes that photography, in all its forms, is one of life's great ongoing adventures. And they are firmly committed to creating lighting gear, modifiers, and accessories that make these adventures more fulfilling, productive, and rewarding. With the launch of the new ELB 500 TTL, adventurous portrait photographers desiring a TTL solution for both in-studio and on-location use can now join in on the fun 